Welcome to Under Moxie with F.P. Wellman. I am your host, Fred P. Frederick P. Wellman. We are coming at you live from Half Coast Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we are so excited for today's show. It's going to be a good one. Uh, as always, I want to remind you of our sponsor, Vi Media. Vi Media is an award-winning uh, digital mark agency right here in the greater St. Louis area and, and a national footprint now. They can... Uh, provide proven growth for their clients and partners. It's a variety of ways they do that, a host of industries. But they serve all your digital marketing efforts, and I hope you'll check them out. It's really easy to go check them out. Their website is vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media on the web. You know, usually... Usually I go into a really long like presentation. I talk about the current news and the guests and all, but yeah, we're not going to do that today. That's just, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not going to waste our time. Let's get right into it. This week's guest is someone you already know. Uh, I, you probably have heard of him somewhere, so let's not waste any time. With that, let's just get on the show. Let's get going. Matt, go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to On Democracy. I am your host, Fred Wellman. Uh, it's so glad to have you here with us for the show. This is On Democracy. This is the show where we talk with smart people about the state of our democracy, both here in America and, well, frankly, across the globe. It's a, a global me- mission right now. Uh, this show is really going to be a good one, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time talking in front, like I mentioned. Uh, our guest is somebody you know. There, I mean, there's just certain guests you invite that don't need a lot of introduction. Uh, Steve Schmidt is an icon of American politics. Uh, as described, I loved it in the, the currently airing Lincoln Project documentary, which I can't imagine we won't discuss. <laughs> the, he's one of only about a dozen political operatives in the country alive who've managed a presidential general election campaign. And that is a, quite a feat and quite a thing to deal with. He worked on the George W. Bush campaign, served in his administration uh, for Vice President Cheney, which is a story we'll talk. Uh, and of course, he's a co-founder of the Lincoln Project. You regularly see him on TV offering his perspective and his vital, unique uh, way of seeing things. Uh, you can read his opinions right now and his insights regularly in his new newsletter, The Warning with Steve Schmidt on Substack. I hope you'll sign up for that. It's fascinating as always, as, as well as when he speaks. So with that, Steve, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, man. Thanks for joining me. It's good to be with you, Fred. Always good to see you, my friend. Man, it's you know, it's funny. You know, we were getting ready to this, and I was reminiscing about how we met. You know, it's a story that I don't know if it's been told publicly much, Steve. But mm-hmm. you know that the for so for perspective for our viewers and listeners, Steve and I have actually known each other since two thousand five, uh, right. when he was much younger. I was much younger. I had shorter hair and less gray, <laughs> and I was serving as a public affairs officer in uh, in Iraq in the Green Zone for a guy named General David Petraeus at the time. And one day I got a call from Ambassador Khalilazad's spokesman who said, hey, there's this guy from the White House coming over and uh, he's investigating how we communicate between Baghdad and D.C. And, he, he, and I think you should talk to him because you, you kind of tell it like it is. Because interestingly enough, I was known even then as a guy who kind of tells it like it is. And so so I wandered over and, and, and had an adventure getting there. And uh, we go to the Greens. I, we went there, I think we met at the Burger King, right, Steve? And uh, we met mm-hmm. at Burger King. I, I took, we took all the cool people to the Burger King in the Green Zone. And uh, here's this guy, this young guy at the time, bald then, <laughs> you know, and, and, and full of energy. And we had a discussion about, you know, what the disconnect between Iraq and and Washington, D.C. was on his mission. And, and I shared my insight. I, I think you uh, you always say you kind of learned a few things in that conversation. I hope you did. No, absolutely. So, I, like, I'll back up on that story. So I was so in the White House, I was um, so my title was I was a deputy assistant to the president. Um, and counselor to the vice president. And so 
in the White House, right, there's three ranks, right, commissioned officer ranks. You have, you have assistants to the president is the highest. So right. Nicole Wallace was um, White House communications director. She's an assistant to the president. Right. I had a deputy assistant rank, and then there are special assistants. And so at the White House senior staff meeting um, that took place every morning, you know, I, I was I was probably in that room, right? I was I was probably like the third, you know, most junior person or the most junior, right? I was in the bottom three. I've like, been in that role as a lieutenant colonel. Like, I, like, I just barely like made the made the meeting, right? You're feeling great so, like me, yeah. <laughs> right. It was like you know, so I'm so I'm in the meeting, you know, hardly ever talk, but like all the White House senior staff meetings, um, literally every one, right, for months, was some version of the press is fucking us. Right. There's so much good news happening in Iraq, but we can't communicate it. The American people think we're losing this war. The reporters are all in the green zone. None of the reporters leave the green zone and and will report. And so literally day after day after day, day after month after month after month, Right. It was the same conversation every day. And, yep. and finally, I don't, I just, I just, I, I was like, shouldn't someone from this room fucking go? <laughs> right. To Iraq. Why not? Totally makes sense. Go right. for the White House to Iraq. See, like, I, I mean, like if we, it, it's like, like we, we say every day, yep. it's like, I mean, someone can go. Right. And like, if you, if you can't, so pretty soon after that, right. It, you know, there was kind of a conversation like, Hey, you, you, you'll go. You just volunteered. Said, Congratulations. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and so you kind of have this whole crazy experience getting there, you know, fly in through our secret, you know, base in Jordan. Yep. Um, you know, the unmarked planes, no tail numbers, you know, yep. the, the whole deal. So, so get there and you kind of land at the airport you're going to the green zone. We, we, the first thing you realize, right. It's, you know, we've been there for two years in the road. There's one road, right. Route Irish. The highway. Route Irish. Death, right. <laughs> exactly. and, 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 and you're like, we've been yep. here two fucking years and this road isn't secure. Not even close. <laughs> right? Right? And it's like we don't have control of the road. Right. Right. There's the United States of America. Right. So you, you kind of get in there and, it was like such a fascinating experience, but like during that experience, you know, of course, like, you know, I met you and yep. you, know, you discovered things because if you're going to send the country's army to war, you have to maintain support for the war. You have to, you have to be able to explain it with credibility. Yep. And so there's so many lessons, right. On this experience, but one of them, there wasn't even a satellite studio. Right. Right you know, in the American embassy for the purposes of communicating, you know, what, what's going on here? Why Directly. are we here? Right. Um, and, and, and that, that's disastrous consequences. I mean, because, you know, public opinion, you know, ability to communicate in democracy, right. Why the most powerful military in the world is halfway around the world doing what it's doing. Right. Why, why are we there? Yep. Is a strategic element and, and was one of the great catastrophes of the mismanagement you know, of the, you know, of the, of the Iraq war, which, you know, of course, you know, in the, in the end is one of the great strategic blunders and, yep. you know, in American history, but um, we had a good meal at Burger King and, <laughs> and a 20 year friendship that, that's come out. We have to tell the second part of the story though, Steve, because the second yeah. part of the story is as he was leaving. So I'm just, I'm just, I was working for the organization that was building the Iraqi security forces and 
it, at the time, there was a rule where senior officials, when they came to Iraq, they could only fly into the green zone and stay, and then they had to be out by dark. And I said, look, man, if you work for the vice president, the president, the next time your boss comes here, you need to leave the goddamn green zone, you know, because like you should go up to Taji, which is a base north of uh, of Baghdad, where we're building the Iraqi armored forces literally through the boneyard. I mean, we had these old Iraq um, and and Iran war veterans, true story, uh, literally in the boneyard, the junkyard, pulling these BMPs out and then fucking rebuilding them. I thought it was a really cool story. So he goes, yeah, okay, all right, I'll take that into account. So flash forward from my side of things. (laughs) I don't know, six months. I'm working for a guy named General uh, Marty Dempsey, Irishman, totally different guy. I mean, you couldn't have two more polar people than Dave Petraeus to Marty Dempsey. Ended up being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs later. Um, so I guess I didn't screw his career up. But so I'm in my office one day and this Dempsey comes into my office, which is weird because he's a three-star general. And he goes, hey, Fred, grab your shit. We're going to Taji. I'm like, okay, sir, I'll grab my soldiers. We'll get the photographer. He goes, no, 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 just you. You got to come. I'm like, okay. And luckily I grabbed my camera. I had this ridiculously large, like drop bag on my, on my body armor. I threw a cam. I always kept a camera because a lot of times the, even the Lieutenant Colonel was the only guy around that had, you know, was, and so I was all right, so we'll go. So we fly up to Taji. I'm like, sir, what the fuck's going on here? He's like, oh, we got some VIP visiting. I'm like a VIP, huh? I said, really? That's crazy. Any idea who it is? He goes, yeah, I think it's the vice president. And there's this moment. <laughs> Okay, I'm like, fuck, (laughs) you know, this guy came over from the White House and I told him that if his boss ever came over, he should visit Taji and and fucking Dempsey was so great. He like looks at me. He's like, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) And I'm like, sir, I think I did this. (laughs) And sure enough, every effing helicopter in Iraq shows up over Taji. Like. All Apaches, Chinooks, you know, you, and they come fluttering down with, on the airfield there, and out jumps this fucker, <laughs> you know. And I'm standing, the, I'm standing on the uh, the bus of uh, the, the door of this bus. We were going to carry me over to the Iraqi side, and he runs up. You, probably, I don't know if you remember. He runs up to me, and he punches me in the chest, and my body armor says, "We're here because of you, motherfucker. This better not suck." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it didn't. It was great, you know. <laughs> I tell this, I tell this story, um. Because this is this is this is like this is like a seminal moment in my life, right? Yeah. Like this, yeah, we talked like about it in in um, you know, like the next half hours it unfolds, right? Yeah, about kind of how how I see the world, right. and you know, you always try. People always talk, you know, and I, I've I've certainly gotten better as I've gotten older, right? Mm-hmm. About being like kind of present in the moment, yeah, looking around, being aware. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, however long I was in Iraq, right. It was a couple months. I mean, it was just a place like when you were out of the green zone, wherever, right. We we were out of the, you know, in the, in the, you know, war as they called it, right. Iraq, right. Is what was the name of the place outside of the green zone. Right. (laughs) Like when you were in Iraq. Right. Right. Like it was a a place you paid attention. Right. You just, you're, you're just aware, right. You're just aware of your surroundings. And so the national press, Corps, White House press corps spills out right of the helicopters, yep. and you have an Iraqi platoon mm-hmm. or a special forces platoon, yep. and uh, and they're all at attention. Right, Cheney's going to come down and inspect them. You got the brass, you got the things, and you and I are hanging back. Yep, and I was taking pictures, and I'm <laughs> I think I'm 20 feet away from the formation. And I go, these guys got fucking wooden guns. <laughs> they got wooden guns, right? I go, Fred, they got wooden guns, right? This is the Iraq. 
He goes, and you're like, yeah, we can't give these guys guns. <laughs> yeah, you know, live weapons. <laughs> the vice president of the United States. I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, wow, wow. Like this is the like this is forty guys. Yep. Right. They can't. They can't find forty guys in Iraq in the Iraqi army to trust, like with a rifle. Right. Not you know unloaded uh, rifle. Yeah. In, in, with the right, vice president. Around, yeah. Like this. Right. These were wooden guns. They were wet. And and so the. But it's amazing, right? So White House press corps, completely fucking oblivious to this. Yep. Right. You know that these guys were all carrying around wooden guns. And we got around like the helicopter. So like, what was the story there? Right. Yep. And, and what was the story that was reported there? It, it was just a seminal moment that just like how inobservant people are hmm. right to what's going on right. literally in front of their faces. Right. Um, and so it was just, it was just an, it was just an amazing, it was an amazing moment, but you know, Todd G's nice any time of year. So it was good <laughs> I, t- I spent some quality time there. Yes. You know, that's when it rains yeah. and it's a big giant mud pit. So it's, it's not beautiful. great. Yeah. Beautiful you know, when we, when I led, you know, a few months, that was Very my nice. second tour. The first tour I had slept on that runway leading my convoy set of vehicles out of Northern Iraq there. So yeah, it's, it's funny how you meet. And then of course we were, I retire from the army. You're with uh, your firm you're with for many years and, uh, and how we connected then as a civilian. I think I, I remember I had so many contracts with your firm you didn't know this. And, uh, he said, hey, you got so many contracts. Come up to the D.C. office and just we'll give you an office. And you get a traveling office. Like, great. This mm-hmm. is great. And the president of the officer goes, yeah, just use this guy. He's never here. And it's fucking Steve Schmidt. <laughs> I'm like, I know this guy. And so yes. me being me, I put my feet up on your desk and send you a picture of it. <laughs> and here we are. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> 2022, you know. So, you know, it's funny. We connected over the year. We did business together. And then and then 2020, I uh, I came out. We were in the pandemic. My firm had, had struggled a little bit. We, we I didn't close it down. And. I'd worked in that COVID hospital in New York and you had generously, uh, you and your, your beautiful spouse had called me to wish me good luck on my 18 hour days up there in New York during the COVID crisis, running a, running a hospital, which was a whole story. And, uh, and then I called you after I got back saying, Hey, look, I ain't, I ain't got a job, <laughs> you know, any suggestions. And, uh, and I tell the story often, Steve, you know, 10 o'clock, I think you called me 10 o'clock my time. I was like, yeah, you're going to work for us. I'm like, Oh, okay. Doing what? Veterans, veteran stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I've never done politics. Yeah, you have, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, you're like, you worked for general Petraeus. You do you know, you work, you did politics. So like, oh, that's a good point. And, uh, what was it a month later? I think I joined, I actually officially joined August 1st of 2020. And, uh, and then I was senior advisor of veterans affairs. We, we had the general, which is somewhat documented in the link in the Lincoln project documentary. You see me as a background player a little bit. I don't, I don't, there's reasons for that. I'm sure. But, um, that's unfolding in real time as we live that. And it's, yeah. it's I, I'm sure, I know you've written out how, it's kind of weird to watch our life, that period of our lives unfold on TV and the whole world see exactly what you said. We knew it was going on. And, you know, I was in it, Steve. You know, you, you, you and I talked about this before we got on the air. It's like I was in it and I didn't know half the shit that's going on. You know, I was there. You know, there was a definite, uh, a definite lot of things going on. You, you've had a catharsis moment about that. I think, um, you know, I think we did good. You know that we, we, we did good. You know, the Bannon line was achieved. You know, I think what we did with the veteran stuff, I, I think what I enjoyed though, Steve, work with you and working with our colleagues at the time was the, the freedom to do what we wanted. I mean, I remember the idea to put ads against Trump in military times and stars and stripes, you know, against the commander in chief. And, uh, nobody would have done that. Nobody would have had the balls to do that, but we wrote a paper on it and, uh, and we put it in and it worked. We, I think we changed minds. His, his, his percentage of the military vote went down. His percentage of the veterans vote went down as a key pillar. So yeah, I think, I think you did some bold things. I mean, and you've got some perspective on that now. I mean, where, where's your head at these days? I know you're, you've, you've seen uh, some frustrations. I, I want to, 
I'm going to talk about the Lincoln Project, but I, I want to tell you, like, just as, as I was listening to you, you know, and I was just, I thought about something, like, I haven't thought about in a long time, um, about kind of the Iraq story. Hmm. And then I, I've never told this, but, so I flew back um, with um, the president of Kurdistan. Um, and we flew back on a blue and white G5, from Iraq, from Erbil, right? Um, with all these Kurdish Iraqi right. officials, and right. we were flying to Washington. And a bunch of these people had never uh, left Iraq, right? Yeah. They'd never been to the United States, and um, G five flies high, yeah. right? So you, when you're on a commercial plane, you know you're at 37,000 feet. You know whatever a G five is flying at fifty thousand. It's a it's a higher ceiling. It gives you this perspective of the curvature of the Earth that's different. It, it's brilliant. It's yeah. uh it's something you know you can you can look out the window for a long time. It was this beautiful night. You're flying from that part of the world. You're you're coming over. Uh, the pole and down the East coast. And we flew down the East coast really. And it, we were over Halifax. It was the first kind of jewel that lights up. Yep. And it was this brilliant night looking at the Iraqis, the Kurds, all of them filling up the one side of the plane mesmerized. Yeah. Looking out the window as this plane flew down the east coast of the United States, Boston, New York City, yeah. right? The United States of America coming into view from 50,000 feet. People who have never seen anything like this, right? Who want to be free and have prosperity and peace, right? In this terrible situation, this terrible conflict, and I, I have never had a moment for me that was more powerful in my life than seeing our country from that perspective after this experience. It was like a jewel. Yep. Right? It's one of the most beautiful vistas I'll ever see, see in my life. Yep. And it was just so grateful. Um, for that experience. And so when you talk about gratitude, well, let's talk about the Lincoln Project. <laughs> and first off, every person in this documentary is a person I gave a job to. Right. Every single one of them. Okay. The fame seeking, the resentment, the grievance, the craziness. Yeah. And in the, and in the end, astonishingly, all of the people who knew about John Weaver, A, being a closeted gay man, but B, uh, using the intern recruitment process to hit on guys in their early 20s. The people who knew that were Ron Steslow, Sarah Lenny, Connor Rogers, and all of those people knew that fact about this guy before 
they came to work at an organization that he was a co-founder of. They all knew, right? They all admit this on camera. I didn't know. Rick Wilson didn't know. Stuart Stevens had no idea. Connor Rogers, after taking a job, writes this letter. And for the first time ever in this documentary, right, you see this letter, the letter yep. that brings down the Lincoln Project. Yep. And it's like nonsense, right? It's it's a bunch of gossip, right? There was nothing that any organization through a general counsel level could do about it, right? It was all gossip. It was all rumors. No human being who worked at the Lincoln Project ever filed any complaint against John Weaver, right? Um, there were multiple sexual harassment settlements, right, that, that, that came um, by Sarah Lenny. Right? Sarah Lenny, right, is the person who sexually harassed and had to reach financial settlements at the Lincoln Project. These people... Ron Stessa, who had never worked in national politics before, his firm makes $20 million. Reed Galen appoints, he's the biggest vendor to the Lincoln Project. He appoints the second biggest vendor, Ron Stessa, to the board and appoints Mike Madrid to the board of the Lincoln Project. So you have these three guys that are constituted on a board that's like literally a thermonuclear specimen of conflicts of interest, self-dealing, bad governance, should never have been constituted. And we have no idea about it. We don't know about it until after the election. So this organization is run, spends $100 million, comes to the end of the election, and hey, there's a lot, there's a board. And Mike Madrid, you see this play out in this documentary, yeah. Mike Madrid says, no, as is Ron Stessler, the question of Rick Wilson and I joining this board for the purposes of cleaning it up. Because my reaction is, you got three guys, you got vendors, you got no transparency, there's no women, there's no minorities. It's just a disaster. We got to clean this up and professionalize this. They say no. And Ron Stessler and Mike Madrid extort in this moment the organization. For a million dollars more each, while talking pie in the sky, democracy, 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 it's outrageous. So now we're sitting there. And this is this is my greatest this is my greatest regret. And I don't I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I broke my back by the end of November right. on that horse right. um, in the Lincoln Project. I was doing something really stupid. I was I, I decided to race that horse without a saddle. Ah. Um, just with the reins on, and uh, I, I was doing th- well in the race until the fi- until the final turn. And um, so anyway, I broke my back. I've said a hundred times, right? Like on TV over the years, there's two ways to win a fight, you know, by yep. bringing your opponent to submission or exhaustion. Yep. And I was just exhausted. We'd accomplished the mission. Um, we were over. I was so outraged by what went on, and I was like, "We should call the FBI." hold a news conference, right? Get our data back. And it's not what we did. What we did 
was hire crisis firms, law firms, and they came in. And really the entire focus was on trying to cover up the reality that Reed Galen had received this warning letter from Connor Rogers in June. And the point of, and I'd always demanded that this letter be released, is that there was no there there. If I say, who are the names of the people that sexually harassed, who were sexually harassed by Andrew Cuomo, you can name them. Yep. If I say, who are the people who are sexually harassed by Donald Trump, you can name them. Who are the Lincoln Project employees that were sexually harassed by John Weaver? There are none. So if John Weaver started emailing a 14-year-old in 2015, which he did, he was working for John Kasich then. Why wasn't John Kasich asked the question? Why was my name in the New York Times story about John Weaver for something he did when he worked with John Kasich? And the reason for that was because of sensationalism right. for the clicks, right? And what the New York Times did is they allowed Connor Rogers, Sarah Lanny, Ron Staslow, Jennifer Horn, and Mike Mitre gave these people anonymity to make an accusation that we covered up sexual misconduct for money when, in fact, they were the only people who knew about the behavior. And you watch all of this play out in the, in the documentary. And, and honestly, at the end, right, you, you see this stunning, 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 stunning in real time poisoning of an organization by Mike Madrid, right? You see this moment, right, where the New Yorker magazine does a profile in the organization and Mike Madrid, who's a complete amateur, has never worked on a national campaign, is aggrieved, right, that, that he's not in the story. And, and you see him poison as a leader and disillusion his team, right? So, so, so we're, we're, what are we doing out there? Started an insurgent political organization to fight and defeat Donald Trump that raised $100 million and made a decisive impact in achieving that goal, right? Lincoln Project wasn't a candidate. Nope. Joe Biden was the candidate. These people got a small role, right? And they should have been grateful for it. Let me tell you something. 2020 was a year in this country, right, where, where, where a million people died, where we got people in this country locked in their homes, yep. parents overwhelmed by schools. Yep. But this is Mike Madrid's failure because here's the deal. Fame. And search for fame. It's an empty, empty, empty journey. You know where that journey leaves you? That journey leaves you like Ron Stesla sitting alone in your fucking apartment, feeling sorry for yourself, looking at the television all alone, watching the 46th president of the United States being sworn in, aggrieved, empty, and alone. Pathetic. That's the story of the Lincoln Project, mm. right? The devolution and exposure of character under pressure in politics. And here's the deal. Our cause, this MAGA movement, this fascist movement, 
is an evil. And I know that I'm on the right side of history. Yep. Yeah. And I'm proud to have fought it. But here's the deal. We need more grace in our society. Right. And some of those MAGA people that are around Trump. Right. And some of those people that you see on this Lincoln Project documentary. You can switcheroo those people on any given day because they are the same fucking people. And one of the reasons, right, that we're in this trouble in this moment is because we got to get out of this Trump industrial complex, right? right? And we got to get to something better. And so I look at candidates like Tim Ryan, right, rising in Ohio, where right. that guy's going to win. Yeah. And I'm like, thank God, right, help is on the way. Like, we, we have some genuine leaders, right, in this country, and we got to break out of this cycle. Right. The performance artist, the, oh. you know, a piece of, I mean, Dr. Oz, you know, I, you and me, I've on campaigns. I've got it on my computer. I got Marcus Flowers going against Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. in, in Georgia. I've got Luke Mixon going against John Kennedy with his corn pone, you know, accent and ridiculousness when he's an Oxford grad. You know, you've yeah. got Lauren Boebert in Colorado, this whole class of performance artists uh, and backbenchers who are, 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 are important because their presence on the right wing media, their presence in that that MAGA ecosphere yeah. of, of that money making ecosphere. You know, how do we fight that? I mean, you know, segueing away from you, know, what our mission is now. I mean, you and I are still fighting. I joined you. I joined you for the mission. You know that I was always about the mission. Yeah. I, I, I became an executor because I. I didn't know any of this, by the way, but I did it because of the mission, you know, and I still believe in that mission. It's still what I'm doing. I, I have this because I still believe in that mission. How do we fight yeah. back against these performance artists? What is the answer to them? And is, is the good, well, is the bad? You, Where do we go? At the, at the end of the day, right, the, you know, what separates Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, from an asylum in the Congress is an election, <laughs> right? You know, she's got, she's got to get votes. So I'm, so I'm driving last week. I drove up to a place up near Aspen from Park City and um, one of the great drives in America, right? Yeah. You know, up in Colorado, just... down the Stegosaurus Highway. But it takes you through, like, Warren Boebert's district. Right. It's a beautiful place, right? And, like, I guess what I would say to people in the district is we're a country of 320 million people. Right? Congressional district, there's 435 people. Right? We sent to Washington, D.C. Right, uh, about, they represent about eight hundred thousand people. That's your representative. Right, right. Here's what I want to say to the people of the district: You're not pulling your fucking weight <laughs> in this country. Right, right. Because you sent to Washington a whack job to represent you. Right, right. My problem with your whack job is they're poisoning the whole of the politics of the country. Right. Right. And they're spreading the whack jobbery. And, and what I want the people of that district to do is give a shit enough to do something about it and fire. Her. Yep. That's what I would like to say. Yep. Right. So we have to communicate in this country that there's no magic letter that you could put next to your name that immunizes you. Right. From the worst possible conduct. Right. That you can conceivably imagine. This is insanity. Right. We, we have to take back our democracy. We need generational change in this country. Yep. Right. I, I don't want to be governed by 80 year olds enough. Right. Right. We right. need we need reform in this country. We, we have a level of corruption in this country that is unfathomable. Right. And we haven't seen a level of corruption like this in America since the beginning of the 20th century. Right. And it, and it spurred the progressive movement. We, we need epic reform in America. Right. right. The good news is, right, this is the best possible moment in all of human civilization to conceivably be alive. 
we have infinite opportunity, right? The purpose of politics is to create peace, prosperity, and domestic tranquility for us and our children. We are trustees of the greatest inheritance that could possibly be bestowed. We're Americans. It's a trust. And when you see these vandals destroying the fabric of the country, dividing, bringing to life the rancidity of anti-Semitism, racism, bringing it up out of the ground, giving permission for people to embrace it. You have some cheating scandals at the service academies in the last, in the last couple of years, and I was astounded. Um, astounded by the fact um, that we haven't had an honest national conversation about how could that be? Maybe because the commander-in-chief is a degenerate liar It sent a message because he certainly wasn't held accountable for any of his lies, but the 18-year-old kid was. Yep. Right? We got a lot of broken institutions. You know, you and I talked about the Army Major General reprimanded Right. He stood up for his female troops. Right. Against the right against wing assault. Tucker Carlson smears. Yep. And so he responded to a smear on his troops by Tucker Carlson, the United States Army, in a highly politicized decision that frankly should lead to the resignation of the chief of staff of the U.S. Army. That's who should get the axe. Yep. Right. Right. Chief of staff of the Army should get the axe. Yep. For not defending a major general who defended his troops. Right. Against yep. Tucker Carlson. Right. You got the you got the you got the senior leadership of the United States military scared shitless of Tucker Carlson. Right. And, and they know are, it. And that's the, the thing. Guys, we're feeding are, them. It's 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 that water. It's the blood right. in the water. Right, Steve? It's it's the right. chum in the water that attracts more shark. We don't we don't win by not taking this fight on. Right. That's that's what my fear is, is all we're doing. If we if we let them have these wins, it's just more blood in the water. They're going to do it again and again and again. They're going to win this war. And the, the loss is to America. I mean, look, you know, you want to save some money in the military budget, start cutting the personal staffs at general offices, right? These guys <laughs> roll like Indian Rajas, right, from the 19th century, right? I, I live that life, you know. I, I want accountability in American institutions, right? If we don't get it, right, we're going to have further political and economic instability, and we're going to lose our democracy as a result of it. And you and I talked about this a lot, that, 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 that the institutions themselves are unprepared for this moment. You know, the moment we face, be it the media, be it the laws, uh, the Hatch Act is a, a, a goddamn joke. I mean, the one thing we know for sure is the Hatch Act is a goddamn joke, right? It means nothing if the president doesn't want to enforce it. The, the rules against these sort of things that our institutes to include our media, our non-government institutions, I me, consistently see this. Our institutes are simply not meeting the moment. I think, I think that um, I'm going to say something. Okay. Um, there's a lot of imbeciles in America um, who will react with rage to it. So I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. There goes I'll my YouTube comments. Of, I'll kind of like kind of. Kind of <laughs> right? I'm used the, to it now. Is the Bush administration and the Obama administration were very similar places in the White House in that they were buttoned up. Right. They were serious like workplaces. Right. Every single person who was in and out of the West Wing and his administration understood they were working in proximate 
proximity right. to the to the office of the president of the it's, United they States. They felt the pull of that the building. Dignity, you can't walk the, in that building, the, right? The, the, the pride, right? It wasn't it wasn't Animal House, right? Right. It wasn't it wasn't Animal House like the Trump administration. Yeah. Now, my job, I had an SCI security clearance. I talked to the press all the time, right on on all matter of stuff. And, and I was like a senior political advisor, right? I was, I was one of the top political guys. So I, I lived in fear, right, of the Hatch Act. Right. Right. Like if, if there was someone who was vulnerable to fucking up the Hatch Act in the Bush White House, I was on the top five list. Right. Right. Just pro- and I was terrified of it. I never violated it. Most astounding thing like I've ever seen in my life, right, was the is is just this moment where Kellyanne Conway just goes out on live national television, just burns it to the ground. It's like, fuck it. Yep. I'll do whatever I want. Yep. And and that test, right, seven years later, she may be right. Right, like Kellyanne Conway, like asserted, right? Right. Like, like this is, this is I, basically in that moment, like she asserted, I do whatever I want. Like right. I work for the president is above the law. And yep. the other thing, like she, she even took it further. Right. She said, no, there's alternative facts. I got my own reality. Right. And you know what? She may be right. <laughs> right. She may be right. Like I, it didn't occur to me that that could conceivably be right. Yep. You know, but that's you know, see. clearly an astonishing percentage of the country lives in complete fucking alternate reality. They do. Totally different information flows, you know, and we see it now. And and what's scary, Steve, for me is is you see this next generation of MAGA. These are the the youngkins and their fleece fucking vests, and it's the it's the DeSantis's and others. They get it. They know how they can play. They they saw the roadmap. You know how it is. It's the pioneers. I mean, let's face it, right? I mean, the pioneers came across the country and fucking covered wagons, got eaten by you know disease and Indians. The ones that followed them had an easier time. Right. And if we don't make it hard, they're going to, they've seen it. You know, Yunkin would, you know, if you remember, you remember the Yunkin campaign, he say one goddamn thing on the Bannon podcast and they say another thing to CBS, CBS never called it out. You know, so you had these separate alternative, you had these separate information bubbles. You have separate, in, you have separate information bubbles and it's very hard to break them. And it's, it's interesting yeah. to me how much criticism we get when we call out those separate information bubbles. Cause people, people on our side, on their side of right also fight us saying, Oh, you shouldn't be broadcasting these. We should ignore them. Like you can't fucking ignore them. Half the country is watching nah. these alternative bubbles. Right. And that's one of the fights I have a lot is the idea we should ignore these guys. No, we can't. It's, it's not a fight. You can I don't, I don't, I don't, it's, it's, you can't think stupid, right? And it's really <laughs> stupid, right? No, right. it is. I mean, you know, is. this is just an extremist movement. It can't, let me ask you a question, right? Is the extremist movement more potent and bigger today than it was two years ago? The answer to that question is yes. Yeah, without question, in right. my heart. In without my question. Heart. And so and more it, extreme. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it bigger today than it was four years ago? Absolutely. How about, how about six years ago? Absolutely. Right? Where are we today down the river from where we started? Yeah. Right. We're a different place. Guys calling for civil war, violence, openly. anti-Semitism openly. So we're, I mean, we're going to hundred percent have political violence. Like it's, we already have, right. It's, we are, I would argue we are, right? you know, it's I mean, ongoing, it's, right. It's going to worsen, right. It's yep. going to, it's going to work. There's going to be a moment like right now it comes, it comes to that observation and danger, right. As we edge towards national catastrophe. Um, when that cast catastrophe comes, 
and it's coming. Um, what it will help achieve is national consensus because everybody will understand at a certain point, regardless of whether they like Trump or not or whatever, we will all understand that we're in the middle of a catastrophe together. Right? We will all understand it. Some people don't see it. Yep. Some people will see it late. Some people will see it early. Some people will feel it earlier than others. Hmm. Right? But the but the idea that there will be no consequences for a 21st century pluralistic nation with 35, 40% of the country engaged with some level of sympathy in an extremist movement, and that extremist movement, well-funded, organized. I mean, here's the deal. Leonard Leo is a political extremist, deeply cynical man, um, head of the Republican judicial confirmations. He was just gifted $1.6 billion. Jesus. That's $80 million a year on the interest forever, Jesus. right, for the Jesus. appointment of extremist judges. There's no money flow like that coming into the side that's pro-democracy. Zero. Right? Zero. The, the extremist cause. Yep. Um, Ken Griffin, the Chicago hedge fund billionaire, this yep. guy is Herschel Walker's pimp. Right? He's going to spend $100 million in this election cycle. He's a hedge fund guy. Why is he doing that? Right? Does he, he likes the fact that Herschel Walker's like paid for all these abortions. Is that why? Right. Right. Like he, he likes that. I'll tell you why. Right. Because he thinks that he puts a hundred million in and he's getting 3 billion out. Right. That's why. Right. It's a transaction it's an investment. And, and, and he doesn't give a fuck that there's 10,000 graves in Normandy facing back across the ocean. Young men who never came home. Right. He looks at Arlington national cemetery Ken Griffin, Steve Schwartzman, these men don't care. They want to make a buck. And they're poisoning American democracy by funding this extremist movement. Yep. And it's sickening. It is. And and it's incredibly dangerous. You got a you got a, you got a political party full of little Limbergs and little Eichmanns, you know, funded you know, by the by, by a by a by a elite that is corrupt beyond beyond description, beyond description, uh, corrupt, out of touch, and deeply uncaring uh, for the future of their country. It's disgraceful. It is, and and we all pay the price. In the end, it it, it it will affect us. It will affect our kids. I've got grandkids, for God's sake. I mean, it affects all of them. And and where do you go? And. Uh, and then, of course, those of us who fight it are called fools at the time. You know, it's just, right. you know, but all we can do is fight. I mean, I guess, you know, we've gone for a while. I don't want to take all your day. Um, you know, in that fight for you, Steve, and you're out now, you're, you're no longer with the Lincoln Project. You're, you're still doing your thing. What's next for you? Where, where's your place in this fight going forward from now on, Steve? Well, look, you know, I want to use the platforms I have, right, to be an advocate for American democracy, um, to try to communicate to people about what's at stake. Yeah. Um, to help them understand um, how grateful they should be yep. 
right? The the opportunities that we have, right? There, there, there's been no untroubled times in American history. No, it's right? still fantasy to think so. Um, you know, but we have a really self pitying culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody. I, I I just like you. Know, you look at the you look at the people. I I, I was thinking about I one of the deepest shows I've ever seen in my life that's been on broadcast television, right? Is a story about a journey. And it is the, it's the prequel to the, to Yellowstone, right? right? The show is, the show is 1883. Right. And it's incredible, right? When you, and you get to the end of it, right? It's one of the few things I've watched, like the last scene, you know, it's just like speechless and just like walking around, like, you know, a month afterwards, like thinking about this, but I'm thinking about these people like on the Lincoln project, right. That, that like journey, like who, who would have made it right. You know, on a, on a wagon train, right. From New Jersey <laughs> to California. Yeah. Right. And like, you look at like Ron and, you know, Mike and, you know, I don't know. They, I don't, they wouldn't have made it to Harrisburg. Right. The, the vain gloriousness, right. The ego, Right. It's, it is, it is astonishing. Right. And, and I think this like other thing, like kind of in the Lincoln project series is a lot of broken people are attracted to politics. We gotta, we gotta get normal functioning people back involved in the American political process as an urgent national matter. Right. Like you can't, all the normal people, the well-adjusted, like healthy people in society, right? That you meet generally, right? Like, I want nothing to do with politics. Like, yeah. I got, you got, you got to be involved in politics. <laughs> like, we all have to be involved in this. Like, or those people, the Ron Steslers, the Mike Madrids, the Connor Rogers, the Jennifer Horns. Oh, holy shit! <laughs> right? Where we have a, we, where all of it is conspired together to create this national catastrophe, and and we need better. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I'll try to speak to, to the best of my, to the best of my ability. Great. Yeah. Well, you've got a unique platform and, and you've got a unique voice and I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. It's funny you say that. It's a, not a day goes by that my girlfriend doesn't say, you know, you got a fucking weird life. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a weird couple of fucking years, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a journey. And he to say from that first phone I call. Always to, think, I always think sometimes like if I woke up from a coma, <laughs> right. Like, you know, like if it was like, if something like whatever, whatever, and it was like, you know, where, where are you going to be? Right. And it's like, there are like a million and a half people follow you on social media. You're going to be viewed as some, as a democracy activist after Donald Trump became president and had a coup <laughs> and the whole Republican party becomes a fascist enterprise. Right. Yeah. I, holy shit. Like, this actually happened. Like this happened. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's it, just, it's just, it, it, there's not, a, there's not a fucking hour that goes by. Right. That I don't like think about that with like wonderment for at least two seconds. Um, you know, I was sitting there, you know, we had whoppers in 2005. I, you know, when, when, when you, I joined you, I was just a veterans advocate, you know, just trying to do my damn thing and help veterans. And here we are. So, uh, well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for your time as everybody knows I can find you on Twitter at uh, Steve yeah. Schmidt, SES. And, uh, and All right, else. Fred. I appreciate you so much. As you always uh, go, she always find me on Twitter, of course, FP Wellman and on Instagram, if you want official and, uh, on democracy returns every week, we broadcast on Thursdays. Our next guest, be terrific talking about our institutional rod as well and i can't wait to share that with you as soon as we book that down steve thanks man always a pleasure it's been a a pleasure knowing all these years and i look forward to working in this fight again absolutely have a great day thank you